0: A uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She has bombed everything, and those savages have got her. You know who did this? The only one group that hunts them. Through. Who? They don't have a name. What kind of tribe doesn't have a name? One that doesn't have a language. Cave dwellers. Show us where they're at. We won't be dissuaded. Bring me a map of the Western Range.
1: I'm the one who fetched your wife. Got her involved. Got a responsibility to you both.
0: And I've killed more Indians than everyone here put together. Well, it's an ugly boast. It isn't a boast, but a fact. I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what a backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. The only advantage we have over these cave dwellers is being smarter. So let's not lose that. We need to keep ourselves
1: collected. Well, it ain't gonna be easy.
0: is a is a horror Western that's deliberately paced it stars uh, Kurt Russell, uh, Richard Jenkins, Matthew Fox and Patrick Wilson and uh, it's them on a rescue mission into cannibal troglodyte territory uh, where it's a very slow burn and then you get slapped, in the face with horror and uh i uh i love it dearly very much
1: hello and welcome back to scream addicts i'm jinx your host and that was damian Maffey, talking about s craig Zoller's 2015 horror western bone tomahawk mr Maffey is an actor and producer known for such films as the strangers pray at night haunt wrong turn the foundation and time's up mr maffay thank you so much for being on the show ah uh, thanks for
0: having me on I should I should write those things for a living, synopsis. Yeah, that's uh, that was, like, professional.
1: I would watch the movie based just on that. <laughs> and honestly, like, if anybody is listening to this podcast, just know that, well, one, we're probably going to get kind of spoilery. It is a movie that's a half-decade old now. But two, if you're listening to a show called Screamatics, how have you not watched Bone Tomahawk yet? It's just, it it, it seems like a no-brainer that somebody would have run across that by now. But then again, you know, I like recommending cool new movies to folks, too. So, um, you know, if you haven't seen it yet, hopefully we can sway you in the next hour, if you don't mind spoilers. (laughs) Now, Mr. Maffay, out of any horror movie you might have chosen to talk about, any at all, why was it that you went with Bone Tomahawk? Uh,
0: I don't know. It's just, it's been in my head recently. Um, And part of that is, I guess it was sparked by someone looking for a recommendation for a movie to watch. And, and I saw that it was on Amazon prime. Uh, So, you know, free to anyone that has that. And my oldest uh, child, he's 13. He's kind of um, really getting into movies and he was asking about the thing and then, Kurt Russell came up, and and I said, you know, you you've seen Kurt and other things like Sky High and you know Guardians of the Galaxy two. Um, so he was asking about Kurt, and we watched the thing. And then Bone Tomahawk came back into my mind, so it was uh, it led me to to revisit it myself. But um, I I do have a, a great love for it, and you, you know that that's a movie that I, I remember that movie was announced. And just the, the synopsis they gave was so exciting in the cast. And when it was announced, it was it was Kurt Russell and Timothy Oliphant uh and Richard Jenkins in it. I was like, wow, like what a cast. And it's these guys and they're gonna be going into cannibal territory. Like, please give this to me. And it was it was a couple of years before it it you know it ever happened and I, i'll never forget the moment i was standing in an outlet mall i was outside with uh my youngest child at the time and my wife was inside a store and i got a phone call from my friend john wagner and he, he was talking to me about something else but he said oh and hey you know uh i'm on this this movie called uh bone tomahawk and i was like what so it's finally happening. And, and he was, uh, I was like, oh my God, Kurt Russell and Timothy Oliphant. He, he told me that uh, Oliphant had been recast um, because of scheduling uh, with Matthew Fox. But yeah, that, that was, uh, was probably the most excited I've been for a movie I'm not a part of. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. That's amazing. Right. I I had no idea that Timothy Oliphant was actually planning to be a part of it. I mean, that's kind of Seth Bullock in in a big screen western, like Raylan Givens in in a cannibal yeah. movie. Like, I would have killed to have seen that movie. Yeah. So, but then and, then
0: again, and, Matthew and Fox, Jennifer Carpenter too.
1: Is that her name? Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: Emily Rose is the the, the and Dexter. Is that, I think she was in that cast too. Oh. Uh, wow. But yeah.
1: That kind of makes sense, too, because Jennifer Carpenter does pop up quite a bit in S. Craig Zoller's later work, so, uh, no. and she's always fantastic in it, too. But. Now, i got to ask, uh, how did your 13-year-old take to leaping from, like, sky high to Bone Tomahawk?
0: Oh, well, he didn't see Bone Tomahawk. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I have to, um, you know, I, I'm treading lightly there. The, you know, the, 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 me, when I was a kid, I, I, I mean, I saw everything, so I would have seen a Bone Tomahawk but he's just kind of getting into horror and i don't think he's ready for a bone tomahawk
1: um i got to tell you i'm nearly 40 and i'm not certain i was ready for bone tomahawk yeah uh, i
0: mean when i watched it when i was when i finally got to see it you know i'm sitting there and and there's some horror here and there and and you know brutality but no one is prepared for what happens there because of the pacing of the movie And just kind of like the caliber of the cast, you know, it was like there was a point where, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, cannibals and stuff. But it's like Kurt Russell and, you know, Richard Jenkins, you know, like how bad could it get there? But then it was like, surprise. (laughs) I don't think he's bone tomahawk uh, uh, ready. You know, I don't want to do that to him. But he did. He did watch the thing. And I, I wasn't sure he would be ready for the thing, but uh, he 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 loved it quite a bit. Uh,
1: that seems like a good gateway horror movie, I think, for that age. Like that's that's a good stepping stone. Like it's a great movie on its own, but you know, it's not it's not too bad. It's not too terrible. The first horror movie he saw was Tremors. Oh, oh that's, that's perfect. perfect. Yeah, that, that's it's wonderful, wonderful
0: movie. And then he saw Alien. Um. And I put Alien on because I was gonna watch it and 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 he he was refusing to go to bed. And I was like, Well, I'm putting Alien on. And at that time he couldn't sit through any any horror movie, he'd run off. So I figured he'd run off, but he sat through all of Alien. So that kind of like was this new, you know, new door he opened up there in, enjoying Alien. Um But yeah, the thing, you know, he 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 commented on uh Because he likes to be like, you know, how, how, you know, the the effects couldn't possibly hold up or, you know, he's very, he likes, he fancies himself a critic, but he, uh, he was commenting on how wonderful the effects were um, in the thing. And it's, it's, uh, it's really cool to see this, you know, this very critical, you know, 13 year old uh, really still being affected by the wonderful uh, practical effects by Rob Bodine.
1: And that's great to hear too. As a as a kid who grew up in the '90s, like and discovered those films back when practical effects were still kind of pretty much the only way you could realize certain things yeah. on screen. Like, you know, I, I do wonder about the uh, the current generation, the the up and comers who are just discovering these movies. You know, maybe having a diet of like too much CG, you know, so it's nice to, one, it's nice to hear that, you know, kids can still go back and rediscover the classics and even movies in the 80s that had amazing practical effects and appreciate them on that level. But two, it also reminds me that, you know, we do still have some movies out there that... You know, uh, that do trade in practical effects. And case in point, like Bone Tomahawk has maybe one of the grisliest, if not honestly, the grisliest practical effect I've ever seen in any movie ever. I can't think of another one that tops it as far as just the overall impact it has on me. Like Cannibal Holocaust does not touch that moment for me. No, no. And
0: you know what's funny about that is I'll give you a little bit of a little bit of behind the scenes. On there I don't know if I'm supposed to be telling this story, but um oh please uh, <laughs> uh, my friend was who's a, was a, one of the producers on it he was saying when they brought that body in for the effect, it was like jiggling and wobbly to the point where like they were they were laughing at it, and they figured it would be unusable so they, they I think many of them. Almost counted on, at that point, that whole kind of sequence having to be, you know, really softened or kind of cut completely. Um, But, uh, you know, as you've seen, it worked out quite well. I think
1: that kind of, like, I... To me, when it comes to practical effects, I think that kind of works. It, it never, you know, there are some effects that just don't work when the body parts are too rigid. You know, it's like, yeah. if if you're just getting a limb hacked off, rigor mortis should not have set in. It should yeah. not take a hop. Like, it's how many times have you seen, like, a, a decapitated head hit the ground, and it takes, like, a couple of hops, and it rolls around <laughs> like it weighs maybe, you know, a few ounces, when, right. in fact, we know that thing should just be, like... You know, it should be like a melon splatting yeah. or something, you know. So I, I kind of appreciate the fact that the, uh, the troglodytes have to uh, wrestle with, you know, what looks like <laughs> human skin for a second before, Lord God, before what happens. Uh, I think, you know, when it comes to that effect, somebody, uh, you know, you always read those reviews where they say that it's uh, not safe for work, right? I think somebody right. described in a review that moment is not safe for life. Right. Like it's just there's, there's nothing to prepare you for what you see in that moment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really something, I, you know, like if I'll recommend the movie to someone, I'll be like, you know, just, just, you know, you, you hang in there, you know, because the pacing of the movie, I, I guess it's not for everyone, but I, I mean, you know, a lot of like Midsummer, Hereditary, you know, those movies are not for everyone. Um, I mean, I'm not a, like a, big Western fan, you know, some of them, I like some of them. I I could kind of, you know, leave some of them. Um, But yeah, I mean, the way that, that movie, like that effect is, is, is brutal. And, and and for, you know, decent human beings, it's, it's, uh, you know, even just seeing it on its own, kind of make you like, yeah, but, with the pacing of that movie, the way you know it, it, it kind of way it takes its time um it does lull you into kind of a a safe area that you should get out of because you know the bad stuff is coming but uh yeah i mean i know I know quite a few people that worked on that movie that was uh a lot <clears throat> a lot of those folks wound up working on both on the strangers prey at Night and haunt, and the the wrong turn movie I did, um, here and there. Really, my my friend John uh, Wagner, who's a, a producer on all those movies, you know, he uh, he likes working with good people. You guys did the prosthetics in Haunt, did the prosthetics
1: and the troglodytes in uh, in uh, Bone Tomahawk. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, they I, when they finally make an appearance. Late in the film, I mean, they they make one hell of an impact, too, because you're right. I mean, there is something about the movie that kind of lulls you into the sense that you are kind of watching, even for the boundaries that it, it kind of pushes a bit, even even for its violence and even for its kind of like novelistic digressions, like it, it's it's it kind of lulls you in the feeling at a certain point, like we are watching just kind of a straight Western. Yeah. And, and it takes like, you know, uh, that final 20 minutes to really sort of like throw us headlong in the horror territory. And when it does, it's like, you know, it reminds me of the shift in, um, from dusk till dawn. Yeah. You know, yeah. the first half of that movie is a straight up crime film. And then all of a sudden, like what, what, that's one hell of a gear change when we shift into what is a a big creature feature. And, uh, I wouldn't say the bone Tomahawk plays unfair. Like we know it's a horror Western going into it from the opening, but you know, at a certain point again, you know, just, I mean, you know, I'm far from the first person to point this out. I'm sure all of the reviews that came out initially pointed this out, but I mean, bone Tomahawk boiled kind of down to its essentials. It's kind of, you know, it's the searchers meets the hills have eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, And which I love, I mean, the, you know, the Natalie Wood character here is surely, uh, oh, uh, Samantha, you know, there's, there's maybe a little Rio Bravo here too, you know, a little Assault on Precinct 13, you know, tell me David Arquette isn't essentially playing the father of the little girl shot through her ice cream cone, you know, like he's the one who leads the evil back into town to where our heroes are. Um, But what I love about the movie so much is that it seems more concerned with the relationships between its characters than either of those films. You know, I not that I'm knocking either film, but it feels like bone Tomahawk allows us to live with its characters and really get to know them more than those other two films. And as with, you know, as Craig Zoller's other work, I really appreciate those digressions. I love that his films, you know, while mean, I mean, they sure as hell aren't lean, you know, but it makes the films feel more like living novels. And, uh, you know, there is extra fat on them, but it never bores. It never detracts from the drive of the story. And I can't think of many filmmakers who are able to pull that off, aside from maybe, you know, the first person to spring to mind is maybe Tarantino.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the <clears throat> the 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 relationship between the characters there, between the, the search parties, uh, is very much a part of what I love about it, you know. Russell and Jenkins are uh, adorable together. In it. They're, <laughs> they're they're wonderful. Richard Jenkins is so great, in it. and uh, I mean I really Matthew Fox in it too. I really, he's he's so interesting in it to me. And I, I mean I I could never say that was a probably like a huge Matthew Fox fan before it. Um, But yeah, he's very unlike anything else I had seen him in. uh, you know, to that point, he's, he's, um, it's quite good. They're really good in it. You know, I, 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 I value, I value acting. I value in my, my horror movies. I mean, look, I, I do have a love for the slasher uh, subgenre, but I will always take characters that you can get emotionally invested in one way or the other to root for or against. It just raises the stakes And it just makes, you know, the movie so much more enjoyable. And I really, I mean, that's really something you get with Bone Tomahawk for me.
1: What do you credit the, you know, you mentioned Russell and Jenkins and how great they are together. You can imagine five minutes before the movie begins that those guys are probably in their own Western era version of like the Andy Griffith show. Like that is that is Mayberry, that town. Those guys probably bicker with one another. You know, they probably get into all sorts of crazy uh, hijinks. You know, I'm sure Russell has to clean up after his uh, goofy deputy every week, yeah. you know, and then all of a sudden this horror show is dropped in on them. And, you know, it's the same thing with uh, Matthew Fox's. um Oh, the character's name is, uh, is it Bruder? Bruder, John Bruder, yeah. (laughs) Which, what a great name for that character. But, um, you know, whereas he is somebody who surely isn't kind of cut from the same cloth as those guys, and yet, you know, he... Certainly as the movie goes on, we learn more about him. At first, he seems like he is kind of, you know, obviously he's arrogant. He's a little in love with himself. Uh, He's obviously a bigot. And yet, you know, the the longer that we spend with him, the more all of that stuff is kind of turned on its head and, you know, a little more light is shown on him. And yet, I, I wonder, what do you credit the feeling that, or maybe tell me I'm wrong, but you know, those characters seem like they have lived a life before they ever wind up in the story that we're witnessing. And I'm wondering, do you do you credit that more to the performances or the writing, or does it have to be some wonderful combination of both? I mean, it it feels like this world is very lived in before this uh you know this tale is dropped into, you know, that particular setting.
0: That's <clears throat> that's you know, that's a good question. That's a good question for, you know, um any movie that manages to to make you think about that and, and pull that off and you know I, the the answer will vary here i think probably you know the, it, it's definitely both it's 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 talented actors who, who you know probably did some of the work on their own leading up to it because you know that's that's movies you know we don't rehearse so uh you to find that stuff on your own um, I think you know quite a bit of the writing is is there for it. I think that you know that's, that's where everything starts—a good script—and um, this kind of movie with that that pacing and and, and their journey, um, it, you know, really lends itself to creating those kinds of characters. Um, because, you know, there isn't, you know, the chaos and the exploding and the, the relationship problems or whatever, you know, they're just out there making their way towards, towards, you know, their, their goal and we're finding out about them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Bruder, <laughs> it is a good name. Uh, Matthew Fox, you know, that he's not really, he's not. He's not a, a wholly likable character. You know, he's not a great person. Certainly by today's standards. So even even for that time period, you know, he's 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 not a person to admire, I think, you know, and and uh that's part of the beauty of it. I mean, he's he's not, you know, like ah, this is like a bad guy. He's not like the the arrogant jerk. He, he's, he's just, he's a different kind of person. And, uh, he, he is a bigot, uh, a womanizer, but you know, it's, 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 it's subtle.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And plus, you know, and I think this is something that's kind of true of all of Zoller's work too, is that he, and we can definitely get into this at length if you want, but like, he seems to deal with characters who are <laughs> definitely in some of his later movies, almost entirely hovering in the kind of this gray moral space. You yeah. know, it's, there are certainly bad people, you know, that, uh, populate his movies, but he still allows them to be human in yeah. a way. And it makes them kind of fascinating as a result. I'm thinking of, uh, you know, the movie that leaps immediately to mind, although he has, you know, uh, we have bone tomahawk. We have, um, uh, uh uh cell block 99 and then we have uh Drag the Cross concrete you know we just have those three movies so far yeah. but you know i'm thinking of Drag the Cross concrete i don't know if you've seen that yet but like the two leads in that are you know most, most certainly bad people and yet at the same time they're also given you know reasons for being like they are and he doesn't he doesn't judge them he doesn't forgive them he just presents them to the audience and presents them in this tale and uh you know, and sometimes it can be kind of difficult to to be on the movie's side while watching, you know, in the first that's couple of minutes. Very of...
0: Tarantino thing too is is that uh you know, I guess anti-hero is is maybe what you would call them is taking these you know, the not good people, but then you know, putting them in a situation with with far worse people. I mean, I guess that's what, or you know, creatures. Um yeah, that definitely seems to be his thing, um, is is these bad people in worse situations. Uh, yeah, I am. Um,
1: you know, it's funny. We mentioned Tarantino a couple of times, too. I, I think S. Craig Zoller's dialogue is probably as distinctive as Tarantino's. And yet, you know, I listening to Tarantino's dialogue, it's kind of like, it's a pleasure to listen to that guy's dialogue, you know, no matter the subject, the amount of profanity, you know, it's always kind of a joy to hear great actors speaking his words with Zoller's dialogue. It's not really a pleasure. doesn't mean it's at all bad. And I'm not knocking it at all. I'm actually praising it. I, I love his dialogue, but it, it stings a bit. It's kind of like a smack in the mouth most of the time, you yeah. know? And I, I can't think of anyone whose dialogue is as distinctive as, uh, you know, as his and Tarantino's, except maybe, you know, when we listen to their dialogue, we immediately know, Hey, you know, this is, this is who wrote that maybe Kevin Smith, somebody like that, Kevin Williamson back in the day, maybe, sure. I don't know, but, but yeah, I just, I, I, I adore listening to his characters speak to one another, even though it's, it's, it's uncomfortable most of the time. It's, it, it grates a bit in a great way, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And Kurt Russell is a, you know, a, a, uh, multiple uh, Tarantino uh, offender or alum, however you want to put it. <laughs> He's done
1: three movies
0: with them now, I think.
1: Yeah, there was Death Proof, uh, Hateful Eight, and uh, yeah, he just appeared in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. And, right. and 2015 was a hell of a year for him, too, uh, with Kurt Russell and Westerns, You know, with directors who write their own incredible dialogue because he did Hateful Eight with Tarantino and Bone Tomahawk with S. Greg Zoller. So good year for him. Yeah, All yeah, must- I, mustachey beard stuff. <laughs> well, aside from like uh, our our lead three characters, how how did the other characters in this world strike you? Like, I, you know, when I'm thinking of the uh, the doctor character played by Patrick Wilson, here's a guy who is kind of there's no way in the opening moments you think this guy is going to be the hero. Like he is in, in, in no movie with Kurt Russell as your lead is Patrick Wilson's doctor with the bum leg going to wind up saving everybody. And yet, you know, it's such a great turn at the end that not only does he wind up kind of, he doesn't fully save the day, but if he hadn't been there, like things would have ended much differently, you know?
0: Well, you know, that, that's, it's another, another bit that I, uh, I like from there. I, I think that, you know, probably Patrick Wilson his character is, is is out of the three of them, is you know, the most Patrick Wilson-esque. <laughs> but he, you know, he, he doesn't seem to be the hero. He's a little whiny, uh, sitting on, on the couch, whining that uh, he should just go to sleep. That way, you know, Autumn will come there faster, whatever he says. Um, you know, but he's, he's, you know he's got the the little suit on and whatnot, and he's hobbling around but you know the the John bruder character keeps referring to him as cowboy and uh i mean you 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 can sense that bruder is is kind of a like a dangerous person himself you know a person that will will you know go at you you know not take any any shit and um there's, there's a, a, a very very, you know, kind of slow hint, hints here and there that the Patrick Wilson character, you know, like, maybe he isn't now, but at some point he was kind of a, you know, a, a tough mofo or, you know, dangerous guy. And that becomes more and more evident throughout. You know, with the, you know he's, he's relentless, uh, you know, the whole leg thing, and he's dragging himself along there, and he doesn't put up with any, any bullshit from, from the Matthew Fox character. Uh, so, I mean, that, I, I do, I appreciate that, because I didn't see that coming. And, uh, you know, oh, at the end of the movie, I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, this is another thing, it's like one of these, they lived a whole life before this movie. And, like, I think Patrick Wilson's was probably, you know, the starkest in contrast to what he is in the opening of the movie. Yeah, uh, I know, maybe I made all
1: that up. but No, no, I think that's a good, uh, good point. He I mean, keeps calling him
0: cowboy. keeps calling him cowboy.
1: All right, cowboy. So you don't think it's like, uh, you know, I, I wonder... Th- I, I like your explanation better than what I came up with, which was simply yeah. that it was a taunt. You know that he was like that. The guy is maybe so far from being a cowboy that by calling him cowboy, he's, right, kinda, right. he's treating him like he's a kid who's playing dress up in a way. Maybe you know, but it's that,
0: maybe it's that you know that strength when the, the car lands on your leg and you get that strength to lift it up. You know, his wife is gone. You know, and he's got nothing. He's a guy with nothing. You know, to nothing to lose, but. I mean, I like to think that uh, I also have a very bad habit of filling in the blanks that maybe sometimes aren't even there. And that comes from watching slasher movies that like don't make sense or don't bother to have any kind of development. And I'll start filling in the blanks of my own. And then I'll start convincing myself that they were there. And <laughs> I'll tell other people about it. And they're like, what the hell are you talking about? And I'm like, no, it's, it's in there. And we'll watch it. And I'm like, oh, I made that up so i mean that that's that's you know that's these are this is what i, I was i was picking up there i
1: think um, no, i like that i like that and i agree you have to do that if you're a slasher fan and a horror fan at a certain point plus i think it's just part and parcel with being a fan of you know not even horror but just you know genre work you know you kind of want to dive into that sandbox and play around a little and you 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 know if there's a world that is larger than the story that's being told to you you know why not wonder what came before why not wonder how those characters existed before and i think it's why we get so many prequels you know to uh to films at a certain point you know because people want right. to know or at least they want to imagine what you know what else happened out in that world that we now love you know and um i mean so, hell plus if you get to better the-
0: off not ever
1: having found out Exactly. <laughs> that's true like you know as much as i love halloween six i didn't need to know that mrs blankenship was part of the thorn cult that was actually controlling michael and you know eh, eh, i love it but it's not great storytelling you know it's 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 that's, that's that's a case where they're like how can we make more of these movies
0: and <laughs> someone's like well i mean a cult that you know warlock and the black trench coat is part of a just you know nonsense and then we'll sell more shirts, and uh, people will buy them.
1: And then I—I got to admit, I, I would buy a Halloween Curse of Michael Myers shirt. I'm that guy. i, I just, you know, no shame. You know. I wouldn't have guessed it. I wouldn't have guessed.
0: <laughs> <it>. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know the prequel thing comes up in movies I'm involved in a lot, and uh, you know, not really interested in them for for some of them.
1: Uh. So. What would you be keen to do a prequel for?
0: I think for like, because it's come up for the strangers because you know they're always people are always trying to be like, you know, we just we want more.
1: So you would have to do an in- I mean, spoilers. I mean, the movie's a few years old at this point too. But wouldn't it have to be more of kind of like an in between quill? You know, I'm making up words here, but
0: <laughs> no, no, I think that's a word. Um, they want you know, some some folks will um you know, suggest we find out what these people were doing when they're not, you know, strangering people on the weekends. You know, like, is this guy working a cubicle? Is he working, you know, a deli? Or, uh, you know, is he a postal worker or something? Um, So that, like, they're... Because they're completely unknown. Uh, You know, they're not just lumbering psychopaths. So, I mean, there is something... To the strangers, I mean, they're clearly kind of, you know, somewhat functioning human beings. Um, so some people are like, you know, they want to know. They they think they want to know. They think they want to know. But I, I like I, I don't think that it's a good idea to ever find out. Um, I think that the only thing that really works for the strangers is the, that. You don't know what the hell's going on there. And I think once you find out, it's it's you know it's not uh, it's not really going to be too interesting. I I've read I've, I've heard there there's been scripts and there there's been scripts that they've you know kind of been interested or entertained. Or didn't. There was one that I was I was kind of into, which was very kind of like seventies, uh, you know. Um, uh, Race with the devil kind of take on it, but uh, really, yeah, yeah, it was, it was it was kind of fun, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Haunt, I might, I could see more of it because I'm kind of like, you know,
1: what's this guy doing? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I want to know if he has a postal worker job like the rest of the year. Like, how does that happen? How does how does, what what day job does that man hold? Scott
0: Wright, right, exactly. I mean, you 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 know, he's hard to miss. Uh, <laughs> Scott and Brian, the directors of the Haunt, said they knew everything. They had backstories for everyone, but they were kind of keeping them to themselves. Um, and you know, I, I don't care. So, like, I, I didn't need the information to do what I was doing there. Um, but you know, there's a line in there that that uh, you know, very quick line that. That suggests that one from, from one of the villains, the vampire guy, that suggests that one of them is a, a tattoo artist, uh, you know, runs a tattoo shop. And, uh, I think all signs point to that it's, uh, it's the devil. So, um, there you go.
1: I, I don't think he's delivering the mail. <laughs> I would, I would still watch that movie. I would you know what? Maybe maybe that's one hell of a setup for a flick like this. You know, imagine somebody who gets one night a year where they can just cut loose and be as evil as they want. You know, they have their own personal purge night. I want to see the movie that charts them for the other 364 days out of the year.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah just kind of like a like one of the earlier reality shows, just kind of follow them around. I mean, if he does deliver mail, you know, you gotta think it might be interesting to put him somewhere like the Midwest or down south where, you know. Because for him to just deliver mail and people would be okay with it, you know, it'd have to be in like Portland, Oregon or Portland, Maine. Uh, <laughs> we either only be very progressive Portlands. Uh, I think everywhere else, you know, I think one of the, the Karens might, might complain. <laughs> yeah. That I'm was scaring my dog. <laughs> scaring my mittens. Mittens won't go outside
1: anymore. This movie is writing itself. Yeah. Um <laughs> But no, I I I do love that and I do agree with you too, that like, you know, as as fans, we we kinda, you know, we we wonder certainly. And, you know, I wonder about the characters in Bone Tomahawk too. Like I when I watch it, you know, certainly the movie's long enough it allows you to drift at times and consider, like, you know, what it, what made these men exactly? But, you know, something that I appreciate about them too is that they are tied to you know, the plot of the film, certainly they are driven by it. And I love that each of these guys, they seem to feel bound to their mission for reasons beyond them simply being, you know, trying to be good men and, you know, trying to save the damsel in distress, as it were. You know, you have Sheriff Hunt, if he hadn't shot, um oh, David Arquette's character, if he had just you know, arrested him and let that be it. But no, he had to put a bullet in his leg. So that in its way led to the events, you know, uh, you have chicory who is, you know, he, he's, who is he, if not central Panza in a way, like he is forever linked to the sheriff, you know, he's going to be following that guy in the hell, except in the final moments when he doesn't do that at all, I guess. But, um, you know, you have Bruder who, you know, he's the one who fetched Samantha. He's the one who brought her there. So he's responsible as well. You have the, uh, you know, the doctor who should have been there in her place in the first place. And he is her husband. He's the guy who is feels responsible for it too. So I love that each of these guys, they feel driven beyond their duty to find this woman and kind of, you know, right that wrong as it were, it, it gives, it makes me like them more, you know?
0: And you know, like the, the deputy has a very small part there, but it, it's, it's, um, he has a very small part and then it becomes two parts. Hey, oh, uh, because he gets split, yeah. Um, that's son oh of a good.
1: Oh, he, guys, uh, his little moment
0: there is interesting because, I mean, he could be, you know, he could be nothing. He could be like really positive and and eager, please, so that you're like, oh my god, they split this poor guy in half. But his whole thing there when he is tasked to to stand over, you know, Arquette and, uh, you know, that whole, whole thing there. Like he doesn't want to be there. He wants to go home. And he thinks that Chickory should stay back, but you know, Chickory hasn't slept. Um, and uh, so, you know, Hunt makes Nick stay there until she's done with the, uh, you know, the surgery and whatnot. So, uh, you know, it's kind of like, oh my God, this guy didn't even want to be there. And then he got taken, and then split, and scalped. Uh, and you know that whole split thing. I mean, that's horrible. Like that whole split thing overshadows the the whole like one of the the most horrible scalping. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. a, a, a maniac level scalping that goes on there, and it's it's you know it's it's completely horrifying because they just like put him down and he's just like giving out information and then they're just like this is happening like this is how we prepare you so it's just like and he's just like ah it's uh it's not i it doesn't make me feel like i don't enjoy things like that. i don't i'm not like one of these people's like oh that's hilarious um so i'm not like woo bow time on i Got the guy and then split him in half and stuff, but it's just like, just the whole movie is, is just, uh, it's an odd experience.
1: Yeah. As I mean, that, that, the, what that guy goes through is, yeah, those, the, those troglodytes are dicks, man. Like, yeah, he, I mean, the, the, you, you scalped him and then you shoved the scalp in his mouth and then you what? You hammered his scalp right. down his throat and then yeah. you split him in half? Why like, yeah. can't you just, I don't know. Is it that
0: completely necessary, you know? All that, yeah, but they are dicks. Like the one, you know, puts the the flask inside uh, inside uh, the, the sheriff. So, I mean, certainly yeah. that's not part of preparation. <laughs> it's
1: how he like seasons his meals. Yeah, um, yeah and no, he's trying I, to figure out the gun. It's great. Just, <laughs> that is a fantastic scene, too. Okay. I, 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 you know, it's terrifying to me how quickly he gets the hang of it, too. Like, yeah. one imagines a sequel to this movie where, you know, things didn't go so well in the final moments, and then all of a sudden, these guys are roaming the countryside, wow. and now they're toting guns.
0: And it's great, because, like, he's, he's got that going on. should not have figured that out. And Richard Jenkins is in the cell, kind of, like, doing a little color commentary for it. <laughs> he's like, oh, this, you know... This, can't even figure it out and then he sees that he's just like
1: and then uh he's like "Uh oh (laughs) it's great great stuff Nah, it's fantastic i i do wonder about those characters like when i when i first saw the film again i you know it's 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 a western but you know the hills have eyes is kind of dropped down into the center of it i didn't take those characters as being anything more than horror movie creations it kind of reminded me a bit of um have you ever read uh, Jack Ketchum's uh, Off-Season? Yes, uh, I have. So it, it,
0: more than any And other... the, is that the sequel, or is that that's the Offspring of the sequel, right? Yes, yeah, yeah there's,
1: um, uh, there's Off-Season, Offspring, and then The Woman, and I haven't seen Darling yet, which is not based on Ketchum, right? It's just based on the character? I think so. I but, um, yeah, you know, and I love The Woman. I think The Woman is actually a damn good movie. Uh, Off-Season was, you know, I, I liked it, but... Honestly, watching Bone Tomahawk is the closest any movie has come to giving me the the feeling of reading one of those early Ketchum books as far as like, you know, it's just relentless once those guys show up on screen. But, you know, that's kind of how I took it initially. And then I remember reading reviews that, you know, kind of tried to hint at a controversy uh, with the movie, like maybe it was. You know, the racist undertones with the movie itself, right. you know, the fact that the characters aren't merely monsters, they are, in fact, like, you know, Native characters, they're Native Americans, essentially. But, you know, when I'm watching the movie, I, I'm wondering if you think there's any validity to that criticism, because, I mean, there is a set piece, there's a massive scene where we have a Native American character, uh, as a professor, I think, played by yeah. Zon McLarnon, listing all of the reasons why the villains in the film aren't Native Americans, why they're right. the cave-dwelling cannibal troglodytes who have no language, who are in no way related to, well, not just Native American tribes, but really, honestly, any sort of humanity and all of this is delivered eloquently by an articulate well-dressed native American character that is quite at odds with how quote unquote Indians have been historically portrayed in Hollywood right. Westerns. So I'm wondering like how had, had you heard that criticism and I'm wondering what you made of it.
0: I have, I, I I've heard it a few times. I've heard it from people, you know, quite recently um, who watched the movie and enjoyed it and, but did comment on that. They, they, they 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 didn't know how to feel about that aspect, and and I mean I've thought about that a lot. I mean there is that professor in the beginning. Um, it's it's that's a t- like I, I think part of it is that um, you know Native Americans, uh, you know mainstream movies for you know a century now. Have not been depicted so well um and even when it it is favorable, it's very cliche,
1: yeah
0: uh so when we do have something like bone tomahawk, which I mean the troglodytes there are you know kind of like the version of our you know um you know backwoods hillbillies, like our wrong turn you know kind of guys, I think you know, where it's like yeah, I mean these are these are uh you know human beings they are uh mostly you know i guess some wrong turn they're uh they're all caucasian i think it's hard to tell um you know they're they're not representative of the race as a whole but you know these this is just this group here we you know we don't even you know we're not cool with this but because there is no you know like really great there's no there's no positive native american influence in this movie outside of that professor which is very quick so i mean i i, mean, I, I get that i get that um and i do you know i mean he's murder is... is very anti uh you know indian so <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know but then again i mean he's not He's not your hero. He's not uh he's not a good person and he's not he's not you know we're not supposed to think he's a good person.
1: Yeah, I agree. I you know, it it does feel, you know, the the professor being there like part of it feels like In a way, it kind of allows for everything that comes after that. And it's trying to excuse any issues that might arise from that in the audience, you know. By that. And so it almost feels like a note in a way. Like, I know the movie was like independently made, but it almost feels like it's like, all right, if you're going to have these guys, we need to have like one great Native American character to come in and say, hey, no, this is completely cool. But, you know, if you're going to have that character, I mean, I, I just. I will, and I do love the movie. I do, but I do think it's also a missed opportunity that our group of heroes who set out to save the damsel in distress, you know, you it does look like you essentially just have this squad of white dudes like headed out to slaughter the evil Native Americans. And I'm wondering how much of that might have actually been countered by including Zon mclarnan 's character in that group. I mean, they try and play it off like he's you know, he's just simply too smart. Like he's not, he's not, he's not getting mixed up in that. He's got no reason to get out there with those guys and help them. But at the same time, like I, I wonder if the movie wouldn't feel a little more even handed if, you know, that had been countered in some way.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and it's look, it's a very, it's a very white movie, uh, very white male movie. You know, there's the damsel is in distress and, uh, you know, she doesn't get into a power loader at the end, you know, climax. <laughs> like, 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 nothing of that happens. She, she
1: doesn't... Uh, she is, she is she, instrumental, though, in poisoning at least, what, two or three she of is. them She's got the smarts, and, you know, she's like a doctor. So she's probably the smartest
0: character in the bunch, but, like, that's, that's another thing. It's like, oh, you know, we can make our, our white... You know, gun-toting hero movie. You know, like, but you know, it's it's sexist and racist. The like, well, all right, so she'll be smart. Shut up the back, and then let's get in this Indian professor, and we'll just like bookend it and save ourselves and get our white characters off on horses. But you know, like, I, I'm gonna say something here, and it's not that doesn't mean that it's it's okay. But I mean, like. That, I mean, that, that's how things were happening back then, right? Because it was like, that's what, how it would have been. I imagine. I wasn't alive. And all I know is from movies. Well, I, I,
1: you know, there is that scene. You're right, I think. And it really hit me this time around on this rewatch in advance of this conversation. Like, there's that scene with Catherine Morse's character, uh, you know, uh, oh, uh, the sheriff's wife. You know, Kurt Russell's wife in it where, you know, when they come in to deliver the news, she's standing there in the kitchen and she sees the two men have business. So she's like, oh, I'll just leave you to be. And she excuses herself. And there's part of me like deep down. I'm like, wait a second. You don't have to fucking leave just because, you know, it's like. But then another part of me is like, look, that's appropriate for that period. Like, that's absolutely what would have happened. You know, Um,
0: yeah, I mean, well, that is a conversation It's like that shit. Like, that's not okay for now. It wasn't okay for then, but it is what was happening then. So do you, are you you going to be true to the, you know, like, maybe, you know, I don't know, you like, you want to address that, but, like, that's how things were then. So is it like just don't make movies in that time period or don't make them, you know? About like it's you know it it is a problem.
1: I wonder too. Like it's I I wonder if you can't find that. And here's the thing: I'm I'm a fan of the guy, but it doesn't come without like some pause. But you know, I, I there's at least one thing, if not numerous things, in each of Zoller's movies where you kind of have a moment where you're like, well, for example, like in the opening moments of uh, Brawl in sublock Ninety Nine, like which is a movie that I love. But it's a pretty hard, you know, ask right at the very beginning when your hero, and you know he's the hero, he's on the poster, he's on the Blu-ray cover that you have bought before you pop the disc in. You know, the first moment you see him, he has that iron cross on the back of his head. And it's like, ah, okay, is this, what, what, what the hell am I watching right now? And you know... And he never has that scene where, you know, there is a uh, exposition where he describes like, well, maybe he was a part of something that he shouldn't have been. And but he's a better guy now. You know, he never does anything that kind of like crass or just, you know, simple as it were, you know. And yet he does illustrate throughout the bulk of the movie that, you know, Vince Vaughn's character is, you know, he's likely a better man than he once was. And so, again, it, it goes to him like. Presenting these characters without judgment, but then you get to, you get to drag the cross concrete and you have another two characters who are, you know, roughing up a, a guy, you know, there's obviously like discussions about police brutality there. Yeah. And again, they are presented as being our heroes in the movie too. And it's like it, there's always a level of, level of discomfort as a viewer that I have with his movies where I appreciate the dialogue I appreciate how well they're made I appreciate the fact that he makes grown-up movies that don't spoon-feed you you know any sort of morality and he kind of just lets you judge for yourself and he doesn't do it as a storyteller he just kind of sets the scene and I like that but at the same time like do do you ever kind of like have a moment watching these movies where you're like, did he go too far? Is he just trolling us? Like what what is his overall goal as a storyteller, do you think? I I, I do with the other
0: ones. I, I I never did with Bone Tomahawk, but with his 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 other movies, uh, you know, I, I wonder, you know, where just like telling this story, you know, ends and maybe where it's part of the person, you know. Also he like Mel Gibson, like, what? What are you hiring that guy for? Yeah. So, I mean, to I play
1: that, I, to play that character, and to give him right. a scene where he's talking to Don Johnson and he's trying to excuse his bad behavior. You know, right. it's like how much of that is the character talking, and how much of it is a platform for Mel Gibson to try and apologize for himself without really even apologizing.
0: Yeah. So I don't know. I don't even want to think about it. I'm, and yet. Yeah, I, I got to say, too, like elect- Tomahawk and not, <laughs> not maybe I don't know. I guess you have to think about it because trying to, you know, get rid of the bad people and, and, and stuff from this stupid business.
1: <laughs> you know, I it, it almost the ending of Drive Across Concrete and we're talking about a completely different movie. And I, I, I'll hop up the subject there in three seconds. I promise. But. It, to me, the ending of that movie almost like unlocked the rest of his work for me where it winds up like to, and I don't want to get into spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Drag the Cross Concrete, but where we leave, you know, there is one character left standing at the end of that movie
0: yeah.
1: and where he is left kind of illustrated to me. It's like, OK, there is some sort of morality in his movies and there is kind of like, you know, when, and going back to Brawl and Cell Block 99, it's kind of like, you know, not many people are let off the hook. For their behavior by the time you get to the end of that movie. Arguably the same thing, I mean, with Bone Tomahawk, too. I mean, Bruder, you know, is arguably maybe the most objectionable character in the movie aside from the Triglodytes. He does not make it to the credits, you know? So. Yeah. And in fact, that's another,
0: you know, I, I kind of love that stuff. I love when you got kind of a buildup towards a character and then they do not wind up pulling off kind of the level. You expect because you expect Bruder, you know, you know he's he's got no morals. He's uh, you know he's killed more more Indians than all of them combined, and uh, you know you expect a, a decent level of, of violence and and body count from him, and uh, you don't get that at all. He manages to drop one, maybe. <laughs> as he's catching a tomahawk.
1: This is a guy who talks up his own going out in a blaze of glory.
0: That's how, yeah, I mean, that's how lethal these troglodytes were that, you know, it's just like, that's like when the shit hits the fan, it hits and, uh, you know, and that's a great moment there where he's, you know, he's, he's, he admits he's too vain to, to live with, uh, you know, a disability,
1: (laughs) which I do believe him. Yeah, for that, like yeah. you know, as yeah. soon as that happens, you see it on his face. It's like, oh, that's not pain; that's resignation. Like this, right. this guy's done. You know, I do love that. Uh, but you know, I, that is the moment in the movie. That's uh, you know, that's like the end of the Magnificent Seven, that remake that came out a few years ago, which I did really enjoy. But every character, all of the characters who do die in that movie, they all go out in grand fashion. They all have their big scene, and that is totally what Matthew Fox's character was building up to. You know, yeah. you're you're just waiting for that, and it's like, nope, hatchet in the head
0: gonna fire two guns in the air while he's he's rolling over and then he's probably gonna pull out a grenade and blow up <laughs> in the cave with all the troglodytes I mean, you definitely expect him you know to sacrifice him because he's the asshole so he's gonna have like a, a you know a, a, a real turning moment there and uh, you know blow up the cave with a thermal detonator or something but it's like nope <laughs> fire one shot, and you're
1: done. I do wonder, like, I, you know, talking about the Troglodytes again, like, I, they have jail cells, sure, but, like, those things that they've kind of pr- crudely put together, but yeah. I, it, it did nobody notice that they were just sort of grazing the land, or had they mostly been killing animals, do you think? Like, I wonder how many other stories, how many other people had passed through those caves, and uh you know were eventually digested by the by the cannibal clan? Or do you think it's merely a matter of the um oh say the um you know the two characters that we get at the beginning played by David Arquette and Sid uh Haig is it just a matter of somebody coming onto their land and drawing them out you know uh, I I'm wondering like just just what in the hell their deal was how how are they living like you know they are in the caves when, as powerful as they are and as smart as they are, to come up with the contraptions that they have surgically implanted in their throats. Like I'm just, I I, I want more from those they're, characters.
0: They're haunting. You know, they're not just intimidating and, and frightening looking. They, you know, they make this noise. They're kind of this this haunting uh, visual. Um, yeah, I don't know if if person is the main staple of their diet um yeah I, I don't really know i hadn't really thought about it like what they're eating on the regular uh, <laughs> i don't know are, what, no. they're kind of out there in the middle of nowhere you know not a bustling metropolis like bright hope nearby so uh yeah i don't know i guess that's what the prequel is going to be for
1: <laughs> this is where my mind goes. Yeah, somebody, somebody. I I don't want to see a bone Talk prequel, uh, but I would watch it. I would watch the hell out of it. I got to admit. So yeah, I, I don't want to either, but I'll, I will take it. <laughs> yeah, I, too, you know, if if there's one thing that kind of speaking of those cells, it was one thing that struck. Weirdly enough, it never occurred to me on any previous viewing, but this last time I was watching it, how clever must Samantha have been? to have not gotten hurt at all while she was in the jail cells. Because obviously the deputy has been given a pretty rough time, right? But I mean, were they just, were these like gentlemen troglodytes? Were they were they polite cannibals who only like roughed up the guys, do you think? Because, she, you know, she's been kidnapped and she's been in their sort of, uh, you know, uh, not care as it were, but... It doesn't look like she's been maimed at all, whereas, obviously, they they take no prisoners when it comes to anybody else, except when they take prisoners, and even then they're pretty horrible with them. But I, does that ring false for you at all when you watch uh, the movie? I thought about that. <clears throat> My first
0: kind of thought was that I appreciated not going the, um, like, the rape route.
1: Yeah, I did not. That is one thing I... I'm glad they didn't go off-season there. Right. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know a movie that, uh, that would deal with this kind of thing that hasn't done it or tried. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, I mean, I assumed that um, Nick, <clears throat> you know, tried to give him a little fight there. Uh, so that's how he wound up getting, getting, you know, his ass handed to him. Uh, wound up in bad shape Um, because he is the law. So, uh, you know, like when they brought them in there, it was him and uh, David Arquette. So, you know, I don't know what went down there. If um, I just, you know, I just assume Nick tried to, you know, take one of them down or or get out or whatever. And, uh, you know, she just sat there in her, Her clean clothes and her doctorly mind and tried to win the day with with the power of of uh, thinking where, you know, men, men just try to knock their way out. (laughs) And that doesn't change when Kurt Russell shows up. He tries to frickin, you know, bash his way out of out of the frickin uh, jail cell. And he gets his hand cut. It's this reoccurring thing of tie it off, tie it off. Everyone's getting messed up. They're all, everyone's appendages are getting you know, massacred. And right. why is
1: it always down to chicory to tie it off for them? Like, yeah, no, well, nobody to nobody no, themselves? Like,
0: he, he was, uh, he's got the medical training. You know, he <laughs> knows how to tie it off.
1: I feel like everybody knew. They just liked him doing shit for them. He had to have some reason to come along.
0: Well, I, yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy's, you know, I, I love his entrance in there <laughs> with the soup. And uh, he's he's drinking the soup and Gert Russell's like, it's you know, hold on, it's hot, and then, but it's already too late, so he's like spit it out. And then he's eating it and he's like, It tastes like this soup tastes like corn. And Gert Russell says, Well, it's corn chowder. And he's like, Well, I mean that makes a lot of sense. It looks like everything's everything's coming together. <laughs>
1: All right, I didn't expect this would be where we would wind up at the end of the hour, the corn chowder, but I, I, I kind of yeah, love that right we right have. That is, the, that is a great, great uh, scene. I, I love his entrance. I love the, uh, you know, that tea smells gruesome. Ah, that soup. <laughs> oh, can I have some?
0: <laughs> and his, Kurt Russell's just kind of like reactions to him
1: and patience with him is, is just part of the beauty. I love it. I, I would watch a buddy cop prequel with those two.
0: There it is. You just that—that's it.
1: That's what we need. All right, sir. We have somehow reached the end of an hour talking about this movie. Can I ask before we go? Do you have any final parting thoughts about Bone Tomahawk?
0: Uh, Yeah, if you haven't seen it, uh, just just watch it and, and let it let it into your heart and just take it all in. And don't be lulled into that that safe place because it's it's going away. (laughs)
1: <laughs> all right now can i ask uh what can folks keep an eye out for from you in the future and uh where can we find you at online you can find me on all the social medias on the
0: on the tweeters and the instagrams uh damian Maffei, my name there and facebook uh saying all all the same thing on every one of them uh, uh i got a wrong turn the foundation coming out I wish I could tell you when but 2020 kind of you know cast a a a fog over everything so uh they're they're figuring that out but uh really really great production uh Wrong Turn kind of a reboot um it's uh, it's going to be something pretty special great cast great director uh so that'll come out at some point then you know people will see it uh, probably a trailer for that coming soon. And then there's a movie that uh, I'm a producer on, uh, as well as being in, uh, called uh, Time's Up, which is uh, cooking along here. And that'll start filming in January.
1: Good deal. All right, sir. Thank you again so much for uh, being on the show and for choosing a great movie to talk about. I really appreciate
0: it. Yeah, thank you. Happy to talk about it.
1: All right, and thanks all you listeners out there. As always, please make certain to like, subscribe, share, use the comment section below. Yell at us on Facebook and Twitter. That's at Screamatics, and I'm at Jinx1981. Until next time, folks, thanks so much, and have a great weekend.
0: Ooh, that tea smells
1: gruesome. It's soup. Oh, he, do you think I could have some?